Welcome to the panel on RNZ National, Cass Carter and David Cormack today. Nice to be with you. Well, it's been, well, the first 100 days today for the mayoral local body election, so I thought we'd check into three mayors. Councils nationwide are facing increasingly complex problems, especially on infrastructure and how to pay for it. Our first mayor, he plays competitive underwater hockey, unsuccessfully ran for parliament under the social credit banner, party banner three times. Mayor of Dunedin, George Radich, won nearly double the votes of his closest opponent, former Mayor Aaron Hawkins. Uh, mayor Radich, kia ora. Welcome to the programme. Kia ora, Wallace. That was my dad that ran for social credit for Parliament, not me. <laughs> <laughs> A long time ago. My apologies. A hundred yes. days in Ōtipuri, Dunedin. What challenges face the beautiful Dunedin? Well, uh, firstly, it is how best to make use of all this beauty that we have, uh, because I've just done a survey. I've been down the length of the Otago Peninsula, and we have several beautiful beaches on the harbour side with beautiful white sand and lots of people swimming today on a Monday afternoon. It is fantastic, and it's about 25, 26 degrees out here, and we're loving it. And so one of the things is to get the word out so that... um, more people appreciate how wonderful Dunedin is and we increase our population. Right, yeah. Our panellists will want to question with their jaws, but um, I, I guess the main issue as well in Dunedin would have to be this new hospital. Not yet fully built and already you've lost a ward full of beds due to increasing costs. Indeed. And we're very concerned about that. Uh, there's a dozen beds, uh, two operating theatres and a couple of scanners that have been deleted as well as a, uh, a smaller building and a overhead walkway to get across the busy road. So we're very concerned about that. All right. Cass, do you want to jump in? Yeah, first of all, Jules, I'd just like to say that I absolutely love Otago and I've just booked flights to go to Dunedin in a couple of weeks. So, um, But I'm not moving there, so I can't in- increase your population. Hey, I just had a more general question about being a mayor um, because I'm just wondering, is it tougher to be a mayor now than it used to be. It used to seem to me that it used to be that mayors were much more figureheads and you heard much more from the chief executive or town clerk in those old days. Um, and and now also you've got some really big issues, obviously, like the three waters negotiations, central government, local government re- restructure. So I just wondered generally, is it, is it a tougher job? Well, I mean, how could I know? I've, this is the first time I've been a mayor <laughs> and I would say, from my point of view, it's the easiest it's ever been. Oh, okay. Okay, David? <laughs> <laughs> how how will you know if you've been a good mayor? Uh, if we've got significant climate change reduction, so if we've got significant redu- emissions reduction in Dunedin, that will be one way. And uh, a range of initiatives associated with that will also be another. So what are you doing for to reduce your climate change emissions, just out of interest? Uh, well, one of the things that I would like to do, and it does involve community interaction and support from a range of uh, participants is I'd like to have a set of small electric buses, half-size electric buses, uh, produ- uh, having an inner city loop so that we spearhead a move to public transport and electrified public transport. Love it. And to me, the key uh, to public transport is convenience and reliability. And if we can provide that, then people will want to change. Who no, will pay for that, though? Yes, Come the back. cost. Who will pay for that? No, yeah. 
Well, the cost is relatively minimal because small electric buses are very low to maintain, low price, low cost to maintain, and low cost to keep running. You know, they are cheaper to run than a uh, piston engine vehicle. Now, Tua, uh, and also like Cass, a bit of a fan of the uh, Dean spent many years there, and many will know who have been there, the picturesque Sinclair Beach, and you've got those iconic groins there, or used to have, jutting out of the harbour, they're one of the more photographed places. Iconic you know, what? Uh, groins, these sort of poles that stuck out of uh, the... Uh, <laughs> Is that so, the word for a choice? If I can explain, may I explain? Because uh, uh, in uh, 1902, 120 years ago, uh, they had a lot of erosion on St. Clair Beach because of a wall, a esplanade wall that was built on the beach, which reflects the waves and scours the sand. So in order to combat that erosion, they uh, built a fence, a wooden fence, into straight into the sea. Yeah. And that was very effective at trapping sand and built up the beach. And they renewed those, that fence and rebuilt some others in 1921 and 1955. They've since fallen into disrepair, but there are quite a few rem- uh, poles remaining. So the and, issue is, uh, the issue is, George, can I jump in and say, look, that's all yeah. very well, these fences, they go out, we all love it, very picturesque. You say they work. The yes. problem is the experts uh, say they don't work. They don't work at all. They might be nice to some photo, experts, but it's a, waste, which it's a waste of half a million dollars that you want to throw at this strange issue. Yes, and it depends which experts. So engineers believe they work, and geographers would sooner, sooner see uh, retreat back from the edge of the beach and allow the erosion to go back a little bit further and hope that the... Uh, that uh, the sea stops, finds its own, uh, uh, I suppose, distance back from the beach. Okay. Hey, kia ora, Jules. Thanks very much for your time. All the very best. That's Mayor George Radich, first time mayor in Dunedin. And with us now is Porirua Mayor Anita Baker, who won a second term with a very large majority, spent just over four grand uh, on her re-election campaign. Not a lot. Anita, kia ora. Anita, are you there? Yes, I am. Sorry, how are you? Hello, welcome to the panel. A hundred days in, second term. How are you finding it and what are the challenges again for you? I'm really really enjoying it this term. Um, I've got two new female councillors, so I've got an even split now, five and five, male-female. I've got a new deputy um, and we're working towards the goals that the previous council had set, working on our infrastructure, sticking to those basics of doing our, our pipes, we're installing a huge, what, what we call a poo tank, a storage tank to hold it mm-hmm. so it doesn't get into the harbour, um, and concentrating on our roading, so really doing the basics. All right, David, you're in Wellington there. You jump in. Has, um, has Transmission Gully made any difference to, to Porirua? Yeah, it's brilliant. We love it. It's making our suburbs quieter. More people are coming into Porirua. More people are buying. It's fantastic. We can get everywhere in sort of 15 minutes now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, look, I'm anti-car, but I do love a good road, and that is a good road. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. So, Anita, what's the biggest issues facing Porirua now? I mean, you've talked about the goals that you're already working on, but what, what else would you like to do? Well, it is still, honestly, those pipes and fixing a harbour, which comes back to the pipes, 
um, before we can do anything else. So it is sticking to the basics, working with Kaunga Ora and Iwi towards more housing in, in the east and getting those upgrades done. Uh, we still need a lot more housing and going through to Pukurua Bay, we've got developments going all the way through there and fixing our stormwater and flooding issues. Have you got a growing population still? We have, absolutely growing all the time. People, you know, Transmission Gully has, has proven you can go further and further out. It's like Cuppy and Levin, we're all growing. Yep. Now, on the housing situation, just jumping into that, you've described it, uh, the situation there as dire, actually as shocking, your words, is enough yep. happening there. Well, it's just not happening fast enough. You know, the government put the money in and they've knocked down more than they've rebuilt purely because they've got to do the subdivision works, the ground works, remove all that asbestos out of the houses and the dirt. So um, it's slow going. I'm hoping this year you'll see, we'll see a lot more built because the earthworks are actually finished, but it's been slow. Can I just, before, before you go, Anita, can I just um, jump in? There's, you know, Porirua is peripherally Wellington, I guess, but there has been talk right now about whether or not Wellington has lost its mojo. Uh, <laughs> it's just perception. Is there something to that? Wellington is just not the vibrant city that it once was. Well, I think it's probably because we all stay, we've all got great cities and we've now a region rather than Wellington City. So regionally, you know, you can go to Upper Hutt to use the new pools, you can go okay. to the Hutt to do something else, you can come to Porirua. So I think we're more of a region and that's why sure. the amalgamation discussion comes up because we're actually all one. All right. Super City, David. Super City for Wellington. I, Anita said that Levin's growing and I struggle to believe that people are choosing to move to Levin. It's because they can't oh, afford to live so, anywhere else. No, Come on, are. both both they, of you. How, how offensive <laughs> to our good <laughs> listeners in Levin. Can I just say on behalf of the Levin people, it's disgusting that you both said that. Oh, no. Some of my best friends are from Levin, but they don't live there now. <laughs> hey, well, with the new road, they can get there so quickly now. <laughs> All right, That's hey, true. Kia ora, Anita. Thanks for your time. That's uh, Porirua Mayor Anita Baker. So we've had the Mayor of Dunedin. We've had the Mayor of Porirua with us now. Is Far North Mayor Moke Tapania. Tanakwe Moko, nice to have you here. Hey, Kilda, from the head of the fish to the tail, eh? It's nice to be on the show. <laughs> You've made history becoming the first Māori mayor of the far north, and you're, you could really feel your exhilaration when it was announced uh, that you got the role. A hundred days in, Moko, how do you feel? Oh, my goodness. I feel like I've just blinked and we're already 100 days in. <laughs> Jesus, the countdown time is already on for the next three years ahead of us and what um, what we want to achieve as a new council, eh? But, um, but you know, I, I mean, <clears throat> even though it's been 100 days, we, we were the last council out of the 66 councils to declare the mayoralty um, results. Everyone else had found out and I think we waited an extra week. Um, so already on the back foot there, but uh, I mean it, it's been um, it's been going pretty steady yep. uh, those first hundred days. You know, before Christmas and that break when everyone goes out and gets some lovely tan here in Northland. Um, you know, we just, we had our induction program. We have thirty elected members across our council and community boards up here in the far north, and of those thirty, um, fifteen are brand new to council and to to local government. So you know, the induction program for us has been really important to. 
uh, teach everyone, you know, local government 101 and everything that goes with it like that. Myself as well, I've only spent three years on council, but still a lot yeah. to learn as the mayor, but um, it's going really well. Uh, Cass? Um, Moko, congratulations, and I'm um, really interested to see what you do. What I'm wondering is, you know, so much pressure gets put on a mayor and, and, and delivering, but you actually are heading an organisation which is probably quite large and slow and lumbering with people who have been there a long time. How easy is, is it to affect change, or is it too early to tell? Oh, my goodness. The, honestly, so I've spent three years on Kelp Football Pass, um, the, the past term, and I, I think that my bedroom has like quite a lot of patch jobs from like banging my head against the wall. How <laughs> slow everything! No, I'm joking about that. But, but honestly, it is it is incredibly frustrating, and that's a part of you know this induction program for our um, new elected members get in, and they're incredibly enthusiastic and passionate. And they're like, "Yes, we want change, and this is how we want to do it, and this is what we're going to do, and let's go." And it's like, "Oh, hang on, this massive beast that is you know the legislation that keeps councils going and makes it." turn around actually doesn't leave much wiggle room to be able to affect you know on the ground um, common sense change that we do every day just as people you know sort of a thing but once you get your head around that um, it's about implementing the change when and where you can I mean I'm really excited just for the little things we've managed to do like aligning our uh, um, council meeting structure off the Māori lunar calendar to, to make uh, take advantage of that ancestral knowledge that we have and that's something that I never would have thought three years ago would ever be something we could do as a council here in the whanau despite having a, a majority population of Māori here but we managed to get that over the line just before Christmas so there's little wins that you get right mm. and then you just build yourself up for success for those big things you need to change as well. David Oh, Moko, my friend Eilish is very jealous because she said I get to speak to the hot mayor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I um, was up in your neck of the woods for my Christmas holiday, and look, people go on about kitty kitty, but it's all gentrified to hell now. We went over to the Hokianga, and it is a far nicer part of the country, in my view. In fact, I think Opononi is my favourite town in New Zealand. So all I'm saying is don't don't do anything to it. Leave it as it is. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think our current district plan will um, will keep that wish for you, mate. But no, I, as the mayor of the whole far north, I obviously love all of the towns. I'm <laughs> definitely not biased to Hokianga, where I'm from. No, honestly, Hokianga is beautiful. I, I spent my um, Christmas break over in North Hokianga in a little place called Matimati, end of the road. No cell phone reception. I gave civil defence my nana's landline so they could get me if there was an emergency. <laughs> but it's a wonderful part of the country, that's for sure. Now, finally, before you go, because uh, people are calling in, um, where is Wayne Brown? We did put a bit in for Mayor of Auckland, Wayne Brown. He hasn't yet uh, done an interview, really, with the oh, media. But... I'll text you his number. No. <laughs> Does Wayne know how to use a cell phone? Well, uh, well I guess. But, Moko, you probably do have his number because he was the former Mayor of the Far North. I was going to ask yeah. you if you have any sort of relationship with him. Yeah, I mean, um, I... Um... Obviously, he's uh, really good mates with our former mayor, John Carter, um, who's been a, a bit of a mentor for me as well over the past three years, and now I'm mayor. So, yeah, I've, I've got his number and talked to him on occasion as well. Um, we probably definitely have um, different leadership styles and, and ways of being, but, you know, um, I'll, I won't ever dictate to another mayor how they should sure. um, run in their own area. But, no, it, it's really good to, to have conversations with him because he actually is uh, he is very knowledgeable i actually have one of his books that our council staff found in my mayor cupboard 
Um, and he wrote a book called The Five Minute MBA, according to Wayne Brown. So I'm looking forward to reading this too. <laughs> I didn't know that. Very good. Very interesting. Hey, Moko, all the very best. And kia ora. Thank you for being with us here. Kia ora. Thank you. That is uh, Moko Tepania Far North Mayor. So that's our three mayors there. Look, Wallace, that Levin reference was offensive. <laughs> I moved here 12 years ago from the hut. It's a great place to bring up kids. Oh, live well, the, if you're moving from the, the hut, it's an improvement. <laughs> Buy a house, the land, wide streets, fantastic climate, no crowding. I'm just waiting for our expressway bypass to get the traffic out of town centre. You're a wonderful listener. I can't be held responsible for what David and Cass <laughs> says. It's an opinion show. They can say whatever they want, however distasteful I find it. About living. Uh, it is uh, 24 past four, the panel. Now, uh, Pothole Nation, that's what we've been called. What have you seen of the state of our roads this holiday break? Your car being damaged by a pothole? Because it turns out there have been a record number of record complaints over the state of our roads. And vehicle damage caused by potholes indicate that some of our roads are not in a good state. In the first 10 months of 2022, Waka Kotahi NZ Transport Agency received 555 complaints. This is up by more than 100 uh, compared to the 421 complaints made a year before. Dylan Thompson is a, a spokesman. Dylan, welcome. Kia ora all. Now, uh, is it that more people are simply deciding to complain because the issues in the news, or is it that our roads are, in fact, getting worse? Oh, our roads are worse, absolutely. And I've got no doubt that there'll be people out there who will have suffered damage to their vehicle but won't have bothered going through um, the process of trying to seek any compensation. Um, so I... I there will be more people out there than those um, those hundreds that are recorded as um, having gone through the official channels. But um, but all all the data, the the hard data, okay. and the anecdotal data, backs up that um, our roads are in worse shape. And what I commonly hear from people is um, them because every time I do media like this, I get emails and phone calls afterwards. Um, people saying that. They have never seen the roads in as bad a state as that right? they are. Okay, yes, absolutely. Give two one zero one. Do you agree with Dylan? What have you seen? Um, the government, of course, will say Dylan they've thrown significant cash uh, around half a billion dollars at this issue. That sounds like a lot of money to fix. What more do we do we want? Do you need? Yeah, well, we um, that was that was an absolutely welcome move and um, back heading into the last election uh, increasing the investment for road maintenance was the AA's top election call that um, we wanted to see from the next government and our estimates at that time were that we thought we needed to spend about $900 million more mm. over three years to catch up on the backlog of work. So $500 million, it's one of those cases where you know that's a really good step and, um, and you're not going to, um, to turn up your nose at that but it still was short of what we think is required to keep the roads in the state they should be. It's been David in. G'day Dildo. Um, so I guess this is this has been a problem decades in the making because I didn't I think that the national government increased the the weight that trucks could be uh, on the on the roads and climate change is now playing in effect so isn't this really you know in effect a good thing because it could be driving people to mode shift? Well, I don't think we'll see the mode shift, though, um, 
David, that's the thing, not that the scale required. Um, most people are still going to be needing to use the roads and they might change the way their vehicles are powered with electricity or hydrogen or other things like that. But for many, many parts of New Zealand, they're still going to need to be using the roads. They're paying, you know, I mean, between road user charges and fuel excise tax, we're looking at more than $4 billion a year being collected from the government and um, and they expect the roads to be in, in a decent shape and when they see potholes all over major highways they think well this isn't right the roads should be in better shape than this. So then should we be reducing the weight load that uh, trucks can carry? Well the reviews that have been done looking at, at trucks has found that they are paying their fair share in simple terms they pay a lot more to use the roads they do a lot more damage but um, but simply saying that it's an issue of, of heavier trucks causing all the problems that we're seeing, I, I would disagree with that. I think it's been a lack of investment over successive governments where they've um, essentially a, the asset has been sweated and sweated and stretched and um, and you get to a certain point where the roads um, just start to start to break up and can't handle that anymore. Seems okay. awfully myopic to just think we can biff money at a problem when there are other things that we can do. This is not an either or, light and trucks, or spend money. We can do both, and surely we should be looking at everything if this is as a bigger problem as you're pitching it as. Well, I, th- I think we do need to look at everything, but you also have sort of simple levels of, with the volume of traffic we have, there is a certain amount of, of work that has to be done. The roads, you know, they're, they're something that wears out. You, you build them and once they start being used, they start wearing out. They're going to need work to being done and, um, and we have a pretty good idea of the amount of money that needs to be spent to do that maintenance work and, and our estimates are that we're short of the amount of investment that's required to to keep the roads up to that standard, so we do need more money. But we also need to look at other things, of course. Okay, but both, Cass. Dylan, I, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the wearing out thing because I feel very strongly about this living in Carpety where we have had major investment in roads in the last few years. But you get these new roads and then within a couple of years you're getting these potholes and damage and then we've got roadworks happening again to fix them. And it seems to me that are we taking the cheap options when we're building these roads and um, constructing them and are we actually maintaining them properly you know are we looking after you know the waterproofing of them all those sort of things keeping in mind that we've got climate change hanging around us at the moment too are are we are we taking a sort of a cheap approach to our roads well i think it's really hard to make a sweeping statement on that but we've seen some projects with um with some you know the carpet expressway being one and transmission gully in, in recent times where very shortly after being completed and open they started to have some serious problems in the mm. remedial work. That's that's no good, and mm. you know we can't have that, and that shouldn't be happening. Um, but I think you know we that doesn't mean that all of our projects are, um, are faulty or falling short. Um, but we we need to be looking at the quality of work that is is being delivered and making sure that it's fit for purpose as well. Because as you said, the weather conditions are changing. We're having more um, extreme wet weather and um, and also in, in a bunch of places more heat in the summer so we need to be making sure that we're building roads that can handle that and um, and, and just fit with the environment that we have. Good on you Dylan, kia ora. thank you for your time. Uh, that's Dylan Thompson there, the AA spokesman and yes indeed the texts now are flowing through uh, about uh, 
potholes, to be sure. Roads are shocking. Uh, totally agree. I'm one of those that have had their car rim and suspension damage due to potholes, but haven't bothered to complain. It's 29 to 5. The panel, well, it's been hard to escape a new book over the summer. It's become the fastest-selling non-fiction book ever. That's what the Guinness Book of Records says. It's called Spare by Prince Harry. It must be the strangest book ever written by a royal, writes Sean Coglin, a BBC royal correspondent. It's part confession, part rant, part love letter. Here is an audio excerpt. Now, just a warning, content may offend. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatised. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it down there. Okay, so that's Prince Harry using uh, Elizabeth Ardern there. Uh, and I wanted someone to review it uh, for me. With us is Stephen, Stephen Press. Welcome to the panel, Stephen. G'day, Wallace. How are you doing? Very well. Like most of us, we haven't read it. There is a massive queue at libraries across the country to read it. Tell us what's it like. Um, well, it's very well written. Um, it's a nice, easy... Easy to go read. It's got a lot of stuff in it that is quite um, uh, interesting. And yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a it's an it's an interesting read. <laughs> I found out today. I didn't know this. I knew it was ghostwritten. I didn't know it was ghostwritten by the person who wrote "Open" by Andre Agassi, a Pulitzer Prize winner. "Open" is one of the best books, if not the best, I have ever read. I couldn't put it down. So if he wrote this, there must be it must rollick along. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I don't know how much he wrote. And that it it's it sort of sounds like uh, Harry's voice. You know, like if you watch the interviews and everything like that, it sort of it feels like him writing. So I mean, the guy's obviously made a, a fantastic job of writing the book uh, and putting it in in Harry's voice. It's, it's like you said, it's it's a rollicking good read. Um, hard to put down it's it's well worth it okay Cass why do we care <laughs> why is this so such Great a big seller Stephen well <laughs> I I don't think it's why do we care it's him telling his story and whether you care or not is up to you you don't have to care um, but it is interesting to see a side of the story that you never see otherwise because the whole the palace thing of never never apologize never explain mm. Well, here's someone who, he does a lot of apologising and a lot of explaining. So, you know, it's quite, uh, I'm I'm a television cameraman and I have worked, um, I haven't done much royal stuff, but I was there in the UK when Diana died. And it was the most bizarre situation. The palace were running around trying to organise the paparazzi and, and the paparazzi were running around sort of ignoring the palace. It was just... It was totally bizarre to me. And now, having read the book, it actually makes a lot more sense, the sort of toxic relationship they had between with each other. Stephen, though, do you think he's done his dash? Like, can there be a volume two, or will, will we just ignore him in the future, or is it just going to end badly, <laughs> having revealed I, so much? 
I don't know. I, I sort of feel like he's someone who's got nothing left to lose. You know, when you, especially when you look at it, how, how they've arranged his life all the way through. Um, he just doesn't care anymore. And he's just going to concentrate on him and his wife and his kids. And so if that means telling more stories, well, I, I think it's more of a threat. You know, they shouldn't, they should just leave him alone. But they won't. Yeah. So there may be more. David, will you be reading it? Oh, probably not. But, you know, I've heard that clip, and I, who, who amongst us hasn't thought of their mother when they've rubbed cream on their genitals? But it's just... <laughs> I was Team Harry before all this, but now I feel like he's just he's gone too far. Uh, but it is still wild to me that the, the king's younger brother's an alleged pedophile, and yet Harry Harry's the one that we're all focusing on as the bad guy. So, I mean, good on him, telling his story. He's already a billionaire, so he doesn't need the money, so he's making more. Great, but I doesn't... Nah. You know what, Stephen... You've got me interested. I may, I'm not quite sure if I'll buy it, but apparently there's a two-year waiting list at the Auckland Library. I'll just um, join the queue and read it in a couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that's up to you, Matty. And, and it's sort of, it's one of those things where um, there is no must-read. But I, yeah. I certainly would look at a lot of, nobody's saying it's a bad book. They're just attacking the messenger. And that speaks volumes to me. Wonderful, Stephen. Hey, wonderful to hear you. Uh, Kia ora. Thanks uh, for your time. That's Stephen Press there, uh, a um, cameraman at uh, TVNZ.